Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN, ZocDoc, Wondery, and AirMedCare. And joining me this week, my friend across the pond, William Gallagher. How are you, sir? I am ecstatic. I'm typing to you on my brand new 14-inch MacBook Pro. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Very good here. Wow, that's that's some special access, William, because, well, we'll discuss <laughs> in a moment. And also, Neil Hughes joining us. What's up, Neil? Hey, guys. How's it going? Going well. Not much to talk about this week. Pretty slow, pretty slow week. You know, I was debating even making that joke, and I, I almost regretted it immediately, but I did it. <laughs> there it is. This was, of course, the huge WWDC week, and we will be spending pretty much all the time on that. But real quick, just want to plug this in at the beginning. Podcast subscriptions, Apple officially announced that they will be launching Tuesday, June 15th. You'll be able to subscribe to podcasts, paid podcasts, or get ad-free versions. The Apple Insider podcast will be available at that launch date. If you haven't supported us on Patreon and you'd like to support through the Apple Podcast app and get ad-free versions of the show, you'll be able to do it there. So June 15th, there you go. Totally seamless launch, very well communicated to everybody that uses podcasts. Well done, Apple. There's a lot of back-end stuff too that's still awry. But anyway, I I did ask Apple, are HTML links ever going to come back in the episode notes? And they did confirm that, yes, they will one day work again. Good. One day. Not sure if it'll be at launch, but one day they'll work. (laughs) All right, WWDC, big week, many announcements at the keynote on Monday, but then... A lot of other things that obviously comes out in the sessions and as people poke around the betas. So I will do my best not to recap what actually happened during the keynote because I did an episode on that. And so if you'd like to listen to a 20-minute rundown of everything Apple talked about in the keynote, just kind of bullet point style, hearing the announcements in a quick fashion, it's the last episode in your feed. It's the recap episode, so you can check that out there. So here there's lots to talk about even outside of what they announced at the keynotes. That's what I'm hoping to cover in this episode with you guys. But most notably, no hardware, no AR, VR, and William, I'm sorry, no Apple Car here at the WWDC announcements. There's still, no, there isn't still time, is there? No, okay, no. (laughs) No, no, no more time. That is it. Oh, actually, no, hang on. Sorry, let me do what every other pundit has said. I never said there'd be an Apple Car. Never. You're oh, no? wrong. No. I've always oh. said it'll be October. No. no. Sorry, <laughs> that's what I'm hearing an awful lot of from people who said I'd get my 14-inch MacBook Pro. So it looks like those will not be coming for at least a few more months. There was some hubbub about the tags that Apple used in YouTube videos for WWDC. They actually used the tag, which is something that you could see in YouTube. You tag your videos with different things. They used M1X as a tag and you could just be a seo play because everyone's searching for m1x and looking for information on the new laptop so it could be totally as seo play doesn't mean anything but interesting that apple even if that's all it is acknowledged that m1x is a thing that people are talking about and enough to use it in their own video hashtag so i thought that was curious gives us no information but that's it okay So let's jump into WWDC. Let me ask you this, Neil, William, are you guys running betas on any of your software, on any of your hardware, iPhone, Macs, or on nothing? I'm not running on anything yet. Nothing yet. Okay. Nothing yet. 
William, how how out there are you with the betas? I'm not. I'm not at all. Not, this, I've got one uh, Apple Silicon working machine. Can't risk it. And I do have a couple of iPhones. I could put iOS 15 on one of them, uh, but I'd like it to be a little further along. Because I, I, I do believe beta stands for don't be insane, you're going to break everything. Isn't that what it's an abbreviation for or something? Well, I don't know the word you just said. I don't know what word that was. But the betas are, yes, you should not install them on mission-critical devices, nor on your only iPhone, unless you just really are a glutton for punishment. But I did on my M1 iPad Pro, because I was making some videos about iPad multitasking and such. It is buggy, as betas are. Battery life is bad, as usual, as you would expect. So if you're going to put betas on stuff, just keep that in mind. And it is the developer betas only that are available. Public betas don't come out till July. So there's that. I will say I do this waffling with betas where I'll put the beta on and then I regret it. And I do the painstaking process of downloading the release candidate from Apple's website and restoring my device. And I do that at least two or three times over the summer. I don't know why. I just catch myself doing it all the time and it's terrible. So don't don't do that. Don't be like me. It is, you can't do it. It is possible to downgrade a device after you put the beta on. It's just a pain in the neck. Do a physical backup of your device if you're going to do it. Like back it up to a Mac with a cable and get that on your computer before you try any of the betas. But anyway, let's talk about software. tvOS was actually not really mentioned as a segment in the keynote. So I just want to get it out of the way at the top. One of the big features that came that everyone kind of wondered why isn't this a part of tvOS is spatial audio. So with tvOS 15... You'll be able to use your AirPods Max or AirPods Pro with spatial audio on the Apple TV. And they're doing some kind of magic using the accelerometer in headphones, where if you actually get up and walk around, it will start doing head tracking and make the audio come from like a specific area in space. And then once you sit back down, it'll revert to like a virtual surround experience, audio in front and all that. So pretty cool features there, but that's coming to tvOS. You'll be able to use HomePod minis as speakers for your Apple TV 4K. And there'll be new, supposedly on-screen notifications if you put your AirPods in so you can quickly switch to your AirPods as a sound output. And finally, you'll be able to sign in with Face ID on your phone if you're trying to log into like an app or service on the Apple TV. Rather than just having to type in the password, it should be able to just Face ID you and autofill stuff. Do you guys see anything else about tvOS that was new and exciting? No, but i got to say, this is so Apple, isn't it? This thing, if you stand up and the sound moves around, any other manufacturer in the world would just turn the volume up <laughs> or something. <laughs> Apple goes that little bit further. And you, Absolutely. I kind of admire them for it. Oh, yeah. But, uh, it should work well. And, you know, if you have the AirPods Max and you want to watch Tenet or something so you can not understand a three-hour movie again, <laughs> you can do it now. With spatial audio, it's great. <laughs> yeah, I read the script to Tenet. There's nothing there to understand. It's fine. Just move on. Skip to skip now, wait a minute. Is this one of those things, William, where you read the script but never watched it? I was watching the film and I could not bear uh, how uh, hard it was to hear anything at all. Yeah. And all the dialogue seemed very important and serious because you couldn't hear it. And I just, I thought, I can't take it. Two thirds of the way through, switched it off read the screenplay, realized the dialogue is actually rubbish oh. when you see what it is. <laughs> and all of the, oh, this is so clever and important. It's all ridiculously obvious. So there is nothing to hold you there. It looks visually brilliant, uh, but I was done with that after 10 minutes. So four out of Tenet, I thought. Mm. <laughs> well, this episode is now going to be a Tenet review. Yes. Uh, I will say, no, I'm just kidding. I will say the, like, the two-minute scene with Michael Caine was probably the best scene in the movie. I think... He always like steals the show. That's all I'll say. All right. iOS 15. Obviously, there were many features announced 
in the keynote, but we're going to try and uncover some features that actually weren't announced. Real quick though, the FaceTime stuff I think is the biggest deal with SharePlay being able to watch content in sync with someone and be FaceTiming or listening to music or podcasts or anything like that. So very cool. And being able to screen share your iOS device to someone else, it's going to help big time, especially when you have those relatives that are asking you for tech support and you can just see their device screen rather than having to try them describe it or get their iPad to point the camera at the iPhone. Very welcome there. My parents don't even know what an iOS is and and they're this is this is this the feature that's going to save their life. They just don't know it yet. Absolutely. This is what I'm telling you. It's 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 a great it's a great feature. But also the idea that you could join a FaceTime call via link, which seems like a big play to compete with Zoom or WebEx. It's just a play to compete with them like a year and a half too late post pandemic. But it is still cool. And I think it's ironic because some people were sharing the video of Steve Jobs announcing FaceTime, which came out with the iPhone 4, because that was the first iPhone with a front facing camera. And when he announced FaceTime, he said it was going to be open, meaning that Android makers could use it and supposedly Windows could have FaceTime. And that just never happened. But now, whatever it is, like, how many years later would it be? Like nine? Yeah, no, more than that. I think it's close to 10. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. About 10 years later, still not open, but an Android user, a Windows user can get a link to a FaceTime call and join it from just the web browser. I have to imagine, I'd be curious what you guys think. I have to imagine a FaceTime app would eventually come to Android. I mean, we have Apple Music there with paid Apple Podcasts. I feel like the Apple Podcasts app will eventually come to Android. I feel like it just makes sense to have the FaceTime app there too and start getting them locked into that ecosystem. Neil, you ever think they'll do it? I don't know why they didn't just do a FaceTime app. They should just do a FaceTime app for Android and for Windows and, and make it easy for everybody. Yeah, yeah, that's strange. William, you think they're going to come out with a FaceTime app? Uh, until you said it, I hadn't thought of it, but it seems sensible. I'm just, I'm still hung up on, I like this. I like the idea of everybody being able to work together like this. I do not like the idea of, I'm watching a film and you suddenly pop up in view saying, what did they just say? <laughs> you know, I mean, you get that in the cinema. Uh, I loathe that. I can't bear the idea of someone able to interrupt, I don't know, Star Trek Picard by pressing on my doorbell and suddenly their picture is instead of this beautifully filmed drama that I'm so immersed in, have somebody with a you know a clipboard uh, conducting a survey at my front door. I don't want any of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, the home features, I imagine you'll be able to turn off. But what I'm going to do is as soon as this is publicly available, William, I'm going to FaceTime SharePlay you we're going to watch Tenet. <laughs> All three hours, we're going to FaceTime share play it. Okay. And then every time I have to go to the bathroom, if, you, if I pause the movie, it pauses for you too. So I'll just pause the movie and uh, I'll lower the volume on your side so you can't hear anything they say. It's going to be great. It'll be a great experience. Yeah, I am totally up for that. Uh, you may not see me in vision, in camera, for a lot of the time. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you absolutely, sure. you, do, you, you do that. That'll be really good. Wonderful. I'm excited to do it. Thanks. Another feature that was not announced and we were hoping for is two-factor support with iCloud Keychain and iCloud Passwords. Now, they did not launch like a dedicated password app, which which would have made managing things like this a lot easier. But if you have the beta and you'll be able to do this in iOS 15 when it comes out, if you go to the settings app, you go to the passwords section and you go to a specific login like Dropbox or Amazon, there is now an option to set a verification two-factor code. So if you're not sure what that is, it's that six-digit code. Usually a website will have you scan a QR code or something like that. You might have had to use Google Authenticator in the past or Authy, and that six-digit code changes every 30 seconds. Well, that'll now be built in with iCloud Keychain, 
It'll sync across your Mac, your iPad, and your iPhone. On the Mac, there'll actually be a password section in system preferences that will let you manage them there, which is a little better than in on iOS where you'll have to go to the settings app, passwords, go to the specific website login and then do it. That's a little cumbersome. I'm hoping they just release an app for this to manage it. I think it would make it a lot easier, but I will say I used it on my iPad I set up a couple of the logins with the two-factor and it really works seamlessly. Like if I went to log into Amazon with two-factor, you don't even see the six-digit screen. Like it just auto-fills it and gets you through. You never have to copy and paste the six-digit code. It auto-fills it for you. And that's a step better than something like 1Password where you do have to, at the best it can do is copy it to your clipboard on iPad or the Mac, and then you can paste it in that field. But with the iCloud password two-factor, it'll just autofill it. And so that's a really nice feature. Hopefully it'll just be easier to manage going forward. Well, you left out the best thing that they announced though, Stephen. Uh, we now have uh, iCloud password, uh, iCloud keychain, I should say, for Microsoft Edge for all 12 people that you've got. So. <laughs> yes, for Microsoft Edge. Now there was actually something interesting, now that you say that, there was a developer session this this past week where Apple announced something called PassKey. I believe it's called iCloud PassKey. It's not a feature that's coming with iOS 15, but it is basically a new way to log into websites and services that is not a password. You know, we've had username and passwords for decades now. That's how you sign into everything. But if you're in the enterprise or corporate world, you might know of something like a hardware key that could be a USB stick you stick into your computer so you can log in or access certain things. Well, Apple is starting to build that backend into iOS and macOS. And hopefully maybe a year or two down the road, websites I think it's called WebAuth is the technology. Websites will be able to integrate this technology where if you're on your device, it'll just be able to do face ID or touch ID on that on if you have a phone like that. And it will log you into your account, not requiring a username and password. Like it'll basically almost be like a biometric for accounts rather than having to do usernames and passwords and manage hundreds of those across the web. This is like many years in the making, like this is going to take you know several years to roll out and for websites to adopt it. But I think it's pretty cool. And that was in a developer session during the week. How does this differ from the existing sign in with Apple? Sign in with Apple still creates a username and password. Yeah, and it gives it and like you can give it, it'll give them a fake email address too and all that. Right. And so, you know, there's that alias thing, but this is not even yeah. like email address or username. This is like a unique passkey connected to the hardware of the device. Right. So it's not even something that, I don't know, like it syncs, somehow it'll sync over iCloud, but it's not something where you'll have to like save usernames and passwords, so. Yeah, it's just like a token connected to your account. Interesting, okay. Yeah, like a token. So interesting for sure. There are some Find My improvements that they didn't announce. You'll actually be able to live stream location from people you're sharing locations with. So rather than updating every few seconds and seeing them like jump around a map, you can actually see them like driving or moving along a map. So that's pretty cool. Plus new widgets for Find My. Also, you'll be able to get notifications when you leave AirPods behind or other devices behind, maybe with an AirTag. And so if you actually leave it at work or leave it at a venue and you leave, you can actually get a notification saying, hey, just so you know, you don't have this thing with you. 
uh, that you left, like your AirPods or something. So this is something that Pebble did, I think, eight years ago with the Pebble Watch, where if it lost <laughs> connection with your phone, it would start buzzing you and say you left your phone at home. So right, glad to right. See caught up with that. I, you know, I'm I'm skeptical about this because the find my AirPods as it exists now is terrible. Yeah, like if you've ever lost an AirPod, my wife lost one the other day, and it was a we were it wasn't making noise, it wasn't finding it, it was in the house, and then it was making noise, but it was right. so vague you couldn't figure out where it was coming from. I I don't know what the solution is there, but you know they. The solution is making a new model with a U1 chip in it, but considering the fact that they didn't put the U1 chip in the new serial remote, I, it feels like a, 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 a just a hodgepodge of, of devices that have it or don't have it. They did say Find My will be improved for AirPods Pro and Max only. So not the regular AirPods, but for Pro and Max using Bluetooth, I think you'll be able to locate like a single AirPod left or right, and it'll be like improved locations on the map. So yes, ideally you want chip in the case that would, so you can have that like precise location tracking, but it'll be improved in some way with Bluetooth and such. So there's that. You'll also be able to find a powered off or even wiped iPhone using Find My, which I have, I'm very curious how that works. I guess it's a GPS thing, but yeah, you can find your powered off iPhone. Little tidbit, the magnifying glass for selecting text on iPhone is back. So if you tap and hold to select text, the little loop appears again, and you'll be able to see the text close up. Welcome back feature for sure. I had totally forgotten that existed. Oh, yeah. I didn't even notice it. Oh, I'm really pleased about that. That's back. Yes. Oh, I, I, I didn't realize I'd lost it, but I missed it now. You told me. Well, you shouldn't have told me. <laughs> That's what I was fine. No, no. Okay. Oh, you're going to install the beta now? Is that going to tempt you, William? Yeah, it's crossing my mind, actually. <laughs> but, okay. It always made sense because when you select text on iPhone, your thumb is covering yes. the text you're trying to select. And it used to be, you know, through iOS, what, like 2 or 3 through 12 or 13, that little like loop would appear magnifying the text that you were actually selecting under your thumb. And they took it away in 14 for some odd reason. So it's coming back in 15, magnifying for selecting text. There's also print dialogue improvements for like double-sided printing and finishing and all that kind of stuff. And also they didn't announce this, but there's actually drag and drop support on iPhone now. Drag and drop support is something that was on the iPad for a while. You can drag between apps side by side, but you'll actually be able to drag stuff on the iPhone where if you like tap and hold maybe a photo or a file, you can hold that thumb on screen, swipe up to go home and into another app, like with your other thumb, and let go, and it'll actually drop in whatever new app that you've gone onto on your phone. So drag and drop on iPhone. It takes some multiple finger gestures to do it. But yeah, that's on there. They didn't mention it. I don't understand Apple's reluctance to to bring these features from between iPhone and iPad. You know, like last year we got widgets on the screen for the iPhone, but not on the home screen, but not on the iPad. They were like in their own little section. And it's like, like, remember when picture in picture debuted on the iPad, but it wasn't on the phone. Right. And then like a year or two later, they brought it over. And it's like, why did you think this was just an iPad feature? (laughs) I mean, it's the same. It's the same code base. I can't imagine that it was that difficult to get widgets on the home screen on the iPad. But yeah, features like that. It's like this drag and drop stuff you know the ipad os is is so watered down anything that's on there at this point should just be on the iphone it just doesn't right. I, I don't i don't really see any reason not to do it yeah i don't i don't know but well we're going to talk about ipad os in a second i don't know we, we might have some rants pent up from from that <laughs> from that announcement this episode is brought to you by wondery in wondery's series secret sauce Hosts John Fry and Sam Donner explore the stories and successes behind some of the most inspiring businesses, creative innovators, and intrepid entrepreneurs. 
And at the top of the list is Johnny Ive. Everyone knows about Steve Jobs as the creative force behind Apple, but without Johnny Ive, none of us would be holding up an iPhone or an iPad. Together, they made magic happen in Cupertino, California. Believe it or not, in the early 90s, the tech giant that we know as Apple was in a complete nosedive. But an unlikely duo, Steve Jobs and Johnny Ive, combined their powers to transform the company and frankly the world. The all-new season of Secret Sauce breaks down how this Apple computer odd couple reached the pinnacle of Silicon Valley success. I was listening to one of these episodes about Johnny Ive and Steve Jobs, and I loved the story about the time they first met. Johnny Ive was actually already at Apple working on the design team, and Steve Jobs just recently announced his comeback. And as they were about to meet, Johnny Ive literally had a resignation letter in his pocket because he didn't know how that meeting was going to go. But it was incredible how they immediately hit it off as two people incredibly focused on details, and they started vibing right away. It's just an incredible story, and I love everything about this series about Johnny Ive and Steve Jobs. So listen to Secret Sauce on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or you can listen one week early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Wondery, feel the story. And this episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Did you ever read the fine print that appears when you start browsing in incognito mode? It says that your activity might still be visible to your employer, your school, or your internet service provider. How can they even call it incognito or private mode? To really stop people from seeing the sites you visit, you need to do what I do and use ExpressVPN. I use ExpressVPN on all my devices. I have it on my iPhone, my iPad, and my Mac. Think about all the times you used Wi-Fi at a coffee shop or hotel, maybe even your parents' house. Well, without ExpressVPN, every site you visit could be logged by the admin of that network. And that's still true even when you're in incognito mode. What's more, your home internet provider, talking about Comcast, Spectrum, AT&T, whatever they may be, they can see your browsing data as well. And in the U.S., they're actually legally allowed to sell that data to advertisers. But ExpressVPN is an app that encrypts all of your network data and reroutes it through a network of secure servers so that your private online activity stays just that, private. They also have trusted server security, meaning that all the data is wiped at every reboot, VPN servers run in RAM only, and they are independently audited to confirm essential privacy protections. ExpressVPN works on all your devices and is super easy to use. The app literally has one button, you tap it, and you're connected to ExpressVPN, and your browsing activity is secure from prying eyes. So stop letting strangers invade your online privacy. Protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash appleinsider. Use my link at expressvpn.com slash appleinsider to get three extra months for free. That's EXP. R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash Apple Insider to learn more. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode. But I also want to mention this was in the iOS section, but actually is a feature that's coming to iPhone, iPad, and the Mac, but live text, meaning the ability to select and copy text from any photo in your camera roll or just from the camera viewfinder on your iPhone or iPad. It's an incredible feature. I actually did a video on this. I'll put a link to the video in show notes, but I was able to do it with just some box. I used my iPad, took a picture of the box. You can literally select the text by clicking and dragging 
in the photo, which just feels wild. And I mean, this is basically like OCR. You know, it's OCR if you have some document or picture of a document and you do that. But in all the use cases, you can even have like a phone number in a picture and live text will let you tap the phone number and call it without even having to copy and paste. Like it just recognizes it's a phone number, which is just wild. And the part that really blew my mind is with system-wide translation, you can select text and the box I used in the video had like French and German all on the same side. And so I could select French text in the photo, hit the translate key that pops up in that little overlay and it will literally translate the text I selected right there. And I can press play and it'll speak it to me. And I don't know if you guys ever remember this app called WordLens. You guys ever use that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. Yep. Yes, absolutely. Incredible. WordLens was incredible, like way ahead of its time. Yeah. If you would point your iPhone camera at any language, well, it had certain languages you could do it with. But let's say you had you know, a Spanish menu. You could point your phone camera at the menu, and the words would literally change live has the cameras pointed at the menu and you could see all the Spanish turn to English if that's how you had you had it yep. set. And it was just mind blowing. Like I would show people this and they would like not believe it. <laughs> and you know, this is like not exactly that, but it is really close. You'll also have the ability to search text throughout all your photos. So if you took a picture of a handwritten note or if you wanted to, you know, find a building, like maybe you took a picture in front of your old high school, you could search for your high school name in Spotlight on the Mac or the iPhone, and the picture with that text will come up. I I mean, I really just can't speak enough about this. Like, It's just an incredible feature. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. I I guess I would consider myself a photos power user if such a thing exists. People are always (laughs) like, how did you get that photo so quick? I'm I'm very good at searching and finding things from that I have saved on my phone. And that was the one thing that I was missing. It was like, man, if I could, because a lot of people don't realize that how powerful the machine learning is in the photos app. Like, you can search for just a, certain objects, like certain types of plants or, you know, search yeah. for cars or animals or whatever. You know, type cat into your phone and you'll get every cat photo you've ever taken or saved. Uh, it's really amazing. And most people, when I talk to them, they don't realize this feature even exists. You show it to them and it blows their mind. They're like, really? I can just I can just search for dogs on my phone and every dog photo I've ever taken is there? It's like, yeah, exactly. Right. And so this is just going to take it to the next level. And so I'm very, very excited because the Photos app is quietly very powerful and a lot yeah. of people don't realize or that. Absolutely. I remember, I think when that feature came out where you could finally search for objects in the photos app, the moment you updated to that iOS, it might've been like 12 or 13, <laughs> your phone would just be like blazing hot for yes, like an entire yes. day it, or it was, two. It was working for like a week to <laughs> yes. like categorize. Cause I have like 25,000 photos. On right. It takes forever. It was indexing like every image. And that is surely going to happen now with live text. I mean, if you have, oh, yeah. you know, tens of thousands of photos, it is going to index everything that looks like text or numbers in all those photos. So if your iPhone is untouchable for two days because of the heat, that is why, just so you know, listeners. Mm -hmm. So William, you excited about this? I am. I'm, and I feel like I've been waiting for it for six or seven years because this exact feature is what Evernote seemed to suggest it had all that time ago. And I was researching this incredibly long, very, very complex book, huge numbers of original documents and things. And I thought, this is brilliant. I signed up to Evernote, got the premium account. I was photographing pages of articles in old documents and things, <laughs> and I could never get the text out of it. Right. I mean, you can finally get through to Evernote support. They said, well, duh, 
Of course you can't. What we do is we index the text so that you can search to find the note that the image is in. You can't actually take out, even though they've identified it, uh, they wouldn't let you take the text Evernote. out. Uh, their logic was uh, that they actually interpreted it. In case it was a misspelling, they might have said this could be one of five words. So they didn't compile a document. They had a list of tags for every word it found. And okay, it made sense. And it was a totally no value to me at all. And I finished the book all those years ago. And finally, Apple have sorted it out. I can't practically want to go back and redo the book. <laughs> this is going to be so handy. I'm curious how well it will work with handwriting too, because back in the day when I was a newspaper reporter, I used to use a LiveScribe pen, and then mm. I would digitally copy all of my notes over and have them, you know, available in a file on a PDF. It would be nice if all that stuff became searchable, and then you could find anything you've ever written down. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, given the scribble feature on iPad and how well that works, I think it will be pretty good. And the demo during the keynote was Craig Federighi taking a picture of a whiteboard that was handwritten. And what was mind-blowing in that demo was when he copied the text from the picture of the mm -hmm. whiteboard and pasted it in an email, it even brought over like bullet formatting. Yeah. Like it had like a bulleted list in the email. And I was like, if it can do that, because we actually, in, in one of my workplaces, we got one of those smart whiteboards where if you like scan the QR code on the board and open the app, as you write on the board with a marker, it will appear in the app like digitally. So you can basically save a high res image of whatever was written on the whiteboard. And I will just say mm -hmm. barely worked. Like it was really bad. Like it is the terrible experience. <laughs> did not work at all. And so everyone resorted to just doing what he did in the demo. Everybody just takes a picture of the whiteboard. Yeah. But if you can do that and just copy and paste the text into a note, my goodness, like that is just incredible. Love it. Can we just take a moment and appreciate that for many years, Bill Gates thought that handwriting input was going to be the primary way for people to input their devices in the future. Like, I remember I had, a, I had a professor in a college course once tell me, they said, we won't have keyboards for computers anymore. Anybody, everybody will talk to their computers. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, imagine being in an office where everybody's barking at their computer. Like, that would be a really great place to work. Like, people don't think about these yeah. things sometimes. It's like, no common sense. Oh, no, actually, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. I think you're wrong there. Windows users have this. Windows users swear constantly at their computers. <laughs> and it, it does a lot of good. I didn't know you were going that way. That was a nice direction. So first of all, I want to say, speaking of Evernote, they don't have enough feet to have shot themselves in the foot enough times over the years. Like they've just blown it so many different ways. I uh, just want to say that as a side note. I will say Steve Wozniak, which if you don't know, he was one of the co-founders of Apple, worked with Steve Jobs. He did an interview, I think with Joshua Topolsky like years ago on The Verge. And he really said that he thought the future of interaction with computers would be voice and speaking to the computer dictation control and i will say siri the way it's improved and one of the updates in the keynote is that siri is going to have on device processing for things like dictation yeah. and for a lot of the commands you'll even be able to do it offline if it is as fast as the demo described and it actually gets that much better i could definitely see myself using siri for more things because i still don't use it very often yeah there are certain tasks in certain situations where voice control is the is the better way of doing it like for example i don't think that in the last you know 10 years or whatever siri's been around i've typed in a reminder on my phone like right. you know how long that would take to go open that app type it in right put the time that you want to be reminded of the date no you just do it by voice because that's a complicated multi-step task yeah I, I i there are certain things when you're driving obviously yeah, but to say that that's the primary way that you're going to be interacting with your device. I mean, again, like you're you're working whether you're working from home or you're working, you know, in an right, office or sure. wherever. You know, imagine interacting with your computer in that way. It just doesn't make any sense. 
All right, we're going to start jamming through some of this middle stuff. There was a section on like wallet and weather. The wallet stuff is super cool. I imagine my home state of Florida is probably never going to allow you to do your driver's license <laughs> on your phone. So I don't think this feature is ever going to come. Do you, were you, I mean, New York feels like that might do it. I don't know about the UK, but I don't know. Do you think this is something that's actually going to come to fruition where you can? I'm excited for it. I yeah. I, I use the Apple wallet. I, I carry as few cards as possible. I use Apple Pay wherever I can. Yeah, yeah. My ID is the, my ID is the one thing that I absolutely have to carry. Right. So, you know, I, I, I think it's a great idea. And, and not only that, but from a security standpoint, I mean, you know, yeah. anybody anybody in the U.S. who was 19 years old using a, a ID of somebody who looks somewhat like them to buy beer, you know, like <laughs> this is something that like it's an authenticated thing. You can make it so that it can't be spoofed, can't be hacked. Right. Um, right. You know, you can't take a screenshot of it or whatever. It's an interactive thing. They'll be able to check it. You already got your phone on you anyhow. You know, it's, it's it shouldn't be the primary way of giving IDs because not everybody can afford a smartphone, but it should be an option. I don't see a problem with it. Also, every police officer in at least the U.S. will also have to accept that when you get pulled over as ID. And then someone actually, I heard on another podcast, if that is your method of ID and, you know, if you ever got pulled over, if you ever had that case, I've, I've been pulled over a couple times. Neil, I imagine, been pulled over more than me. But I don't know. That's just assuming. <laughs> um, you would have to give your phone to the police officer because they usually take it back to their cop car and do whatever with it. And so that would be, there would have to be some kind of mechanism where it could stay, the screen could stay on with your driver's license on screen, but the phone also be locked in such a way where, mm. you know, the police officer couldn't just like swipe up and access all the other stuff on your phone. I'm sure Apple has thought about that, but I mean, they already do this with passes. You know, if, if you're getting on an airline airplane or, or going to a concert, it just pops up on your screen and then, you know, you can access it without unlocking. So I suppose they could have something where, you know, you could have it available from the lock screen, you know, uh, without having to open the phone. That's true. William, do you think identity stuff will ever be in the UK? You can do it digitally. Yes, absolutely. It's just the way it's going to happen here is that the UK will say, no, we're not trusting Apple. We're developing our own. They'll spend <laughs> 10 to 20 million pounds uh, hiring somebody who's never done it before. And it, then it will fail and then they'll revert. Okay. okay. I wish I was kidding, but that is what happens every time. You know, we are the country that assigned a boat contract, multi-million pound boat contract to somebody who didn't have any boats. You know, this is this is what goes on here. If you know somebody in the government, if you're in a friend to somebody in the cabinet, you can do any technology project you like for any amount of money. But eventually, yes, it all settles down and we get something that works. I thought you were making a, a greatest showman reference to signing a contract for boats with someone who didn't have boats, but I don't I don't know if that's that or No, that is actually literally true. It's what the British government did. Wow. And then had to pay an awful lot of money to get out to the contract. That's amazing. As well. Amazing. So there are times when I just want to uh, concentrate on uh, WWDC and happy things like that <laughs> instead. Okay, okay. All right, well, let's get back to that. Uh, weather. So they are improving the weather app on the iPhone. You'll have live radar maps with precipitation and all, plus redesigned stuff in the app. And this actually news came out as we were recording, but Dark Sky, who Apple purchased and we're using their API for precipitation and all that, or using their technology. Dark Sky will actually shut down at the end of 2022. So you have like one more year of Dark Sky as a standalone app, and then it will be completely consumed inside the weather app. You will get push notifications for rain in the stock weather app now. That's something that I guess has not been uh, possible before. I still get mine through the Dark Sky app. I am just hoping that by the time Dark Sky goes away, Apple will finally 
release a weather app for the iPad. Right now, I have the beta on my iPad, and if you tap that beautiful weather widget on the iPad home screen, it just goes to like accuweather.com. And I don't understand why still <laughs> there's no, again, like to Neil's point, why is there a weather app on the iPhone since the beginning, but not the iPad? I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, of all the apps, right? You have, I think they have the measure app on the iPad, but not a weather app. <laughs> yes, they like, do. Really? Yes, yes, they because do. For, for all the measurements that I'm going to be doing with my iPad, please. <laughs> so I don't, I don't understand. But anyway, weather app will be getting better. Uh, with AirPods, we talked about some of those features before, but I will mention the voice isolation and background noise suppression. So you can actually wear your AirPods yeah. and it might help you hear. I will feel like I wear my AirPods Pro when I go grocery shopping. And I always have that moment at the checkout where do I want to feel like a jerk and keep these in, even if I pause it and put it in transparency and I can hear the person even better than without the AirPods? Yeah. Or do I just take them out of my ears so I look like a civil person? I still have that moment of like stress of what to do. What do, what do you guys do in, in that moment? Uh, can I just tell you, we just had a local election here and uh, uh, my local MP that I was going to vote for and in the end did because there was no other choice, came to my door and said, oh, we really want to listen to what you've got to say. And she had AirPods in. And I thought, you know, <laughs> I'm not convinced. <laughs> See, that's so. the kind of stuff. That's the kind of stuff you got to watch out for. Yeah, I just take them out. See, that's what I do too. I just take them out because I'm like, and it just seems rude still. It is a weird social thing when you're out in public and you get a notification on your watch. Like I get like a New York Times push or something. Yeah. And then somebody sees me looking down at my watch and they go, oh, what time is it? And they think I'm checking the time. And it's like, no, yeah. no I'm not checking the time. I'm actually looking at the <laughs> Right. Music, spatial audio, Apple Music, that actually came out on the day of the keynote, June 7th. And so there's a bunch of tracks now with spatial audio. The lossless and high-res lossless settings should have appeared in your iPhone and iPad if you're on the latest iOS. So that's there. I hadn't had a chance to listen to a ton of stuff. I tried some spatial audio with my AirPods Max, listening to some classical music. I have some very nerdy thoughts about that. Of Editor at Apple Insider, Mikey, made me feel bad about Coldplay. So will our listeners, but <laughs> I won't go on anymore about that. Have you either of you experienced some life-changing thing with spatial audio and music? I had to dig to find artists that were on there because I, I checked. So if you go to the the recently added on, on uh, I, I counted. If you go to recently added on your phone, it, it shows 60 albums that you've added. One out of the 60 albums that I added supported spatial audio, which lets you know about the kind of mixing that goes on for the artists that I listen to. <laughs> right. So it doesn't really apply to the genres or artists that I listen to. But I did hear a few tracks. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it, it sounded fine. Some of them were interesting. Some were worse than others. Some were better than others. The interview that Eddie Q is giving saying this is going to be like the game changer whatever yeah. you know maybe it'll be the norm for you know top 10 music but you know for the vast majority of artists out there who are you know putting out stuff of their own release are they going to mix stuff in this sort of way I don't think so so yeah I mean if you listen to top 10 music yeah sure, sure. but beyond that I, I can't see it really I can't see some you know moderately popular album from 20 years ago somebody going back to the masters and remixing it to make it spatial audio it's not like it's not like when dvd came out and every movie company was going back and finding the original print to get the <laughs> highest quality they could so you could right. upgrade your vhs like right. this is not gonna be happening for the vast majority of music out there so right. it's fine it's okay it exists yeah william what about you I initially, I didn't hear any difference. And then I switched it off and I thought, oh, actually, I did hear a difference. I didn't realize. And I suddenly found myself really appreciating it. But same thing, trying to find something. You know, I went through every artist that I usually listen to and it was very rare to find anything 
new, but I mean, you know, I liked it when I did. So yeah, yeah. Um, I want them all to come over. And didn't Apple say 20 million tracks had launched? Something like 60 that. 60 million by the end in some form. I don't understand what f- form that will be, but yeah. bring it all. I like it. Our, our editor, Mikey, recommended that I listen to What's My Name Again by Blink-182. He <laughs> called it truly disgusting. And I said, well, I won't be listening to that in our conversation. <sighs> oh, that's hilarious. This episode is brought to you by ZocDoc. When you need to see a doctor, you usually need to see them today, not like a week from now or weeks from now. And one of the important things about seeing a doctor is you want to make sure that they take your insurance. We all know what it's like to rearrange our schedule, book an appointment. You finally go in and then you find out that doctor doesn't take your insurance. But there is a solution. With ZocDoc, you can download the free app and it is the easiest way to find a great doctor and instantly book an appointment. With ZocDoc, you can search for local doctors who take your insurance. You actually choose your insurance provider and even your insurance plan, and then it will filter all the doctors nearby that use your exact insurance. You can also read verified patient reviews and book an appointment online. I love the service. You can go to the website on the app and you can just book an appointment right there online. You don't have to call anybody. Whether you need a primary care physician, dentist, dermatologist, eye doctor, or specialist, ZocDoc has you covered. You can go to ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider and you download the app, sign up totally for free. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc and I'm one of them. I love being able just to go there, search for doctors. I know they use my insurance and I can book an appointment right there online. ZocDoc makes healthcare easy and now is the time to prioritize your health. Go to ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider, download the free ZocDoc app, sign up for free, and then book a top-rated doctor. Many are available as soon as today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Apple Insider. Download the app for free at ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring this episode. And this episode is brought to you by AirMedCare Network Fly You Home. AirMedCare Network Fly You Home gives you the comfort of home when you need it most. Maybe you travel around the country for work or leisure, but if you travel often and you happen to be hospitalized more than 150 nautical miles away from home, AirMedCare Fly You Home will transport you to a hospital of your choice in one of their medically equipped private aircrafts by specially trained nurses and paramedics at no out-of-pocket cost to you. I'm talking maybe it's a plane, maybe it's a helicopter, but they will take you to the hospital of your choice. They've completed more than 18,000 missions and have over 30 years of experience helping their members. So you can expect industry-leading service that takes care of everything so you can focus on recovering. I don't usually consider what would happen if I got sick or injured when traveling, so I cannot recommend Air Medcare Network fly you home enough if you plan on taking a trip in the near future. And for as little as $134 a year, you and your entire household can enjoy complete peace of mind when traveling. As an Apple Insider listener, you'll also receive up to a $60 gift card when you join. So go to airmedcarenetwork.com and use the code APPLE. The promo code is just Apple, one word. That's airmedcarenetwork.com, promo code Apple, when signing up to get up to a $60 gift card. Our thanks again to Airmedcare Network Fly You Home for sponsoring this episode. Okay, real quick, uh, there were some privacy updates. That stuff was cool. And iCloud Plus, which kind of plays into the privacy aspect, the new feature was announced with iCloud Plus, which naming Apple 
don't put a plus after something if it's really just new features to the old service. You know, when they announced iCloud Plus, they started it by saying, here's iCloud now with a plus. And you think, well, shoot, this is going to cost more. Or this is going to be something different like Fitness Plus or Apple TV Plus or News Plus. But no, same pricing as before, just with a plus after the name. Yeah. So I don't I guess it's iCloud like rebranding. I guess it's everything is just now iCloud Plus. You're forgetting, I mean, I imagine actually a lot of iPhone Mac users only have the free version of iCloud, the five gigabytes or something. There's got to be a lot of people on that. So that I imagine. The very generous five gigabytes. Yeah, that would be iCloud, everything else iCloud Plus. And actually, now you've said it that way around, I've talked myself into it. I thought it was daft and I can't bear the pluses everywhere, but it does make a difference. You are paying for a bit. Okay. It's, okay. Yeah. No, yeah. Okay. I'm with them now. Uh, I see. I see. Okay. So the, the so the, the free tier is iCloud and then everybody else gets the plus for paid. Okay. I imagine. I really don't know, but it would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. The iCloud relay sounded like it was a VPN type thing. And that is kind of what it's doing, where it will take your web browsing if you do it in Safari and some other internet traffic, and it'll put it through several relays. So your IP address and location is masked from the websites and trackers that you would be visiting. So that's cool. It is definitely not like a full on VPN like you would with ExpressVPN, which is a sponsor of this episode. So there you go. Like if you wanted to like change your location for a streaming service like Netflix or something else, this does not do that. And it is also missing a lot of the other features, you know, something like a VPN, like ExpressVPN, it will route every piece of data that is leaving your phone through their secure server. The Relay in iCloud Plus is really for Safari specifically and like a couple other things that they're like iMessage and other data like that. So it is not an all-encompassing VPN, but pretty cool that they will start doing that just by default as you browse in Safari. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm excited for it. This was something that came out after the keynote, but iCloud Mail. So if you have an iCloud account, you get email, free email that comes with that. But going forward, you'll actually be able to use custom domain names with your iCloud mail. And so if you have a custom domain like at whatever, at williamgallagher.com, I don't know if you have that domain or not. Yes, I do. Oh, you do. Oh, there you go. If you have that domain, you can actually use that with your iCloud mail. This is one of the reasons why a lot of people might use G Suite or other third-party email services is for those custom domains. And now you'll be able to do that with your iCloud mail. There's still some questions. Like I'm curious if you can have multiple custom domains that all go to the same inbox. Like I have a G Suite account. And if I send an email from Gmail, I can choose like five different domains to send as, and then I receive from all those domains in the one inbox. So it remains to be seen if that's how it's going to function or not. But very cool that that is going to be an option. And if it has some of those features that I'll be looking for, I might drop third-party email services and just go with the iCloud mail. It's pretty cool. Both of you sound very excited about that. Do either of you care? <laughs> the way my email is set up, anything at williamgallagher.com gets through to me. So if I'm signing up for somewhere I'm a bit suspicious, I will say, I don't know, my address is possible spam at williamgallagher.com. Mm, yes. I even told people this is silly at williamgallagher.com. And, you know, it all works and I just switch off whichever one starts That's smart. bothering me. So I don't, I, I like having my current iCloud 
address. I, I want that set. I want that separate from the millions oh, okay. of other email services I seem to have accrued recently. I, I own I own neilhughes.net, but I don't know <laughs> what I would put on the front side of the at. It's weird because it would be like, is it Neil at neilhughes.net? That feels kind of some weird, people right? do or their first me, name. Me at yeah. Some people do me. Some people do their first name. Some people do like hey or hello or contact. But I don't know. Feel great. I actually I don't know if I want to say this on the air, but I have me in front of my name basically. And I never thought about it, but I gave it to like a repair guy one time. He was fixing my fridge and I told him my email address and he was like, it's a pretty narcissistic email address. You got me at the beginning and then <laughs> your name. And I was like, well, shoot, <laughs> I guess it does sound like that. And I immediately wanted to change it. So anyway, I have a Google voice number that spells my first name in it and I <laughs> uh, use it for work, but I don't actually write it out. So like nobody knows that they're typing my name when they dial it. It's right. just something because I, right. I can pick that up. It's something you know. <laughs> you can wring your yeah, exactly. wring your hands at night and know they texted my name. But yeah, if I wanted to be a real jerk, I could put you know six four five Neil on there. Right. <laughs> It'd be like the one eight hundred mattress dot com or whatever. Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. <laughs> I remember I did work this one conference where I was like doing a table at a conference, and I asked for this one guy's email address, and he said my email is you send junk at yahoo dot com. I was like, you know what? <laughs> I respect that. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Watch OS 8 basically got like new photo sharing features and new health features. That's all I'm going to say. You guys got anything for Watch OS 8? Uh, you know, the, the photo thing, like it's low hanging fruit because the previous app was terrible. So like they had to update it. Right. So I'm glad that they did. It, but the fact that it was like the centerpiece is so funny to me because, you know, we talked a few weeks ago about this camera that on the watch that, that I tested out and it's like. Who is going to be viewing and sharing photos from their watch, a device that you can't even take photos with? <laughs> like, that just seems yeah. like, you know, like, if you're going to be viewing photos, you're going to be doing it with a device you take photos on with a bigger screen. I, I just can't imagine that that many people are going to be doing this. But there was one feature that they announced that I think uh, is going to be really great. They have greatly simplified text in entry yes. for messages on the watch, yes. including the ability to uh, uh, move the cursor between letters by rotating the digital crown, which I think is brilliant. Yes. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited about that, I think, because I do occasionally message from my watch because I like to leave my watch at home. And this will make it a lot easier, especially in those situations where you can't use dictation. And you'll be able to send GIFs right from the watch. That's something there you go. doesn't sound like much, but my son, he mainly texts from his watch because he doesn't have a phone. And so, yeah, send GIFs from there. That's cool. Yeah. Also, there were new health features. And honestly, these were really cool. There's like mobility and walking steadiness features. And honestly, the ability to share certain health metrics with family and friends. I really thought that was a great feature, especially if you have like aging parents or maybe you have a child with a certain condition and you want to be able to monitor certain health features. You'll be able to share those health data features to each other within a family or just friends or whatever. And I thought that was really cool. So you could see that stuff on your phone. You can see like, how's your family or friend doing and all that kind of stuff. So cool that you can share that stuff now. And yet somehow we still don't have Apple Fitness Plus on the Mac. I don't understand that. Uh, that's a good point. That's okay. No, that's fine. That, that, that's <laughs> perfectly, perfectly okay. Yeah. Well, they did, they did announce uh, one feature that I'm excited for with uh, Monterey is you can AirPlay from an iPhone or an iPad and then use your Mac as the screen. Yes. So I have an app that I've used for many years called AirServer yep. that does this. So, But for some reason, it doesn't work with Apple Fitness Plus. I don't know. Does, does, does AirPlay not work with Apple Fitness Plus? Or maybe it's just this app? I don't know. But I just get a black screen when I try to do it. Oh, right. I think there was like a 14.6 or something you were able to airplay to an Apple TV from an iPad or something like that. I thought. Well, 
well, hopefully when all this stuff ships, then I can just, you know, have my iPhone or my iPad and then beam that to my... But then even if you do that, uh, like when I plug in my Mac to my, my monitor to use it for working out, I don't get the live readings of the Apple Watch on an external display. I, I don't understand why. It doesn't make any sense. That is weird. I will, I will say Air Server, I had used that in the past too. So if there's ever like a presentation type thing, yep. and I want to be able to show my iPhone screen on the big projector screen. It was great for that. Yeah, it works great. And this is the definition of being Sherlocked is when Apple builds your feature in the app that you have made for years into the their OS. And so, yeah. Well, Air Server had a good run. It had like 10 years. It so really did. It did. And there was also like, yeah. I think it also worked for Android phones and there was some other like casting features. So yeah. it might still offer some features that Apple is not. But yeah, Air Server, you should check it out. All right, well, let's get to iPad OS. I made a video on this already. <sighs> <laughs> and that was the video. It was eight minutes of me doing that. Yeah. iPad OS, you know, it's so weird. They had the announcement during the keynote. And when Craig Federighi said, multitasking, new features on the iPad, I was like, yes, here it is. And as he begins to describe the changes in multitasking, my face just slowly dropped <laughs> because not much changed. Like all they have given us is a little icon where the stuff that was gesture only before, basically, you can now tap these three little dots and move an app to the side or full screen or slide over without having to know all the wizardry to do it with your hands or the mouse and trackpad. And then the shelf, which shows you open windows within an app, but it's not like they're active or anything, just like frozen window state. So if you want to have five Safari windows for whatever reason, or like different pairs, you can have that. But I, I still hold nothing. It was really added. Like this is the same kind of multitasking that's been around since iOS nine with side-by-side -side apps and slide over. And I've seen people on Twitter and online saying, no, they've polished it. And multitasking is better now. It's very, it's much improved. And I'm like, it is the same. I've, I've been using it on my iPad, my M1 iPad that I was so hopeful would have some kind of update for it at WWDC. And it is really functioning basically the same way. Neil, talk to me. It is increasingly clear that the only reason that Apple put the M1 in the new iPad is because it's very easy for them to manufacture one chip for a whole range of devices and it makes their supply chain more efficient and it increases their margins. Because this whole M1 in the iPad, I mean, you have a very powerful chip in there that is obviously capable of a lot more than what the iPad is offering. And, you know, there there hasn't even been any indication that iPad OS 15 uh, allows apps to use more of the RAM. So why why is Apple even selling a 16 gig RAM iPad? Yeah. It makes absolutely no sense to me other than it's just a way for them to get everything on one chip. The iMac, the MacBook Pro, uh, you know, that came out last year, the MacBook Air, uh, the Mac Mini, they're all running the same chip. And by doing that, you know, they can they can increase their margins and it just makes it easier and it makes the supply chain more efficient and they have less waste and, and that sort of thing. And and that's really the only explanation I can come up with at this point, because what they announced at WWDC was such a letdown for iPad. I think that WWDC was a great presentation. I think that yeah. it showcased the the robust nature of all the different platforms that Apple has. And uh, what was really great was it used to be that everything was an iOS feature, but now that all these features are cross-platform, the home just became its own section, you know? Yeah. It wasn't, oh, coming to iOS this year. The home was its own section. AirPods were their own section of the presentation. So it really showed the robustness of the platform. And then the iPad just fell flat so hard. There were so many things that they could have done to improve 
improve this year and to make it better. And to put a Band-Aid on the multitasking problems with the iPad is such a disappointment. You have so much horsepower here. You know, I asked you guys a few weeks ago on the, on the podcast because we were talking about could you replace your iPad, you know, your Mac with your iPad. How many apps do you have open on your Mac? And everybody had, you know, 15, 20 apps open because that's what power users do. And, you know, this is just not that, you know, having two apps open side by side in these like grid windows, you know, the, the current system they have with Snap and Slideover, it's just, it's not it. It's not going to work. And they need to rethink it. They need to blow it up. I don't know what the answer is, but this ain't it. Yeah, I was disappointed as you were. And I understand as people have been talking since the keynote, it's clear that this is how Apple feels the iPad functions, that side-by-side apps, like it, it is mainly a touch device. It is, this is how you view apps. You're not meant to view four to six apps or more at a time on the iPad. And there's even a point where I will say, okay, to that, but then to also not introduce new APIs or power features, even in the settings app. Yep. Like, let us use a USB mic in more than one app at the same time in side-by-side mode that is already available. Yep. And this is the the one use case that, I guess people don't even realize it, but I tell them, like, you can have Skype and you can have Ferrite or voice memos in side-by-side mode, both of those apps up at the same time, both supposedly active. And if you plug in a USB mic, only one app can access <laughs> that microphone at a time. And you'll yep. see the error message come up that says, sorry, Charlie, like this other app has exclusive access to it and we can't do anything with this mic. Like that alone, whatever the visual mechanism is for multitasking, just the ability to have that, like right now, again, to your point in our last episode, you said, how many apps are you running right now? I will say I have an audio input right here running and I have three different apps accessing it at the same time. Right. Because I do a bunch of redundancy. I have Audio Hijack, I have Skype, and I have another app running in the background to record it. And so that's one input. Three apps can see it because this is a computer. And if I have a USB device connected to this computer, multiple apps should be able to access it. It's the same thing like with a camera. If you wanted to record video from some like USB or webcam in QuickTime or some other app, but you're also on a Zoom call and you want to be able to see the camera there, you should be able to do that. And however, the functioning of navigation and using gestures or whatever, that's an issue. And I still think has a long ways to go, but then also not to give us any of these background utility power abilities was like a secondary and almost bigger disappointment, at least for me. The, the, the fact that they didn't add any sort of proper external monitor support. That like, too, yes. Wow. Talk about low-hanging fruit. Like, would you like to be able to plug your iPad into a monitor and then do dual screen? Yes. And that there's no technical reason that they can't do it because you can already do it with any other device that runs an M1. It has a USB 4 Thunderbolt 3 port on it on the new model. Like, there's zero reason that you shouldn't be able to use this properly with an external monitor or at least display stuff natively on the external monitor in the proper aspect ratio and resolution it does not work and I, I don't understand why it makes no sense this is the this is like the one easy thing they could have done that would have been like there for power users and you know one of the features that they, that they announced that i really like is um this universal control feature where you're gonna be able to bring your your mouse over yes what i really like about that feature is it's going to because right now i use my ipad with sidecar so i'm running mac apps on my ipad what this is going to do is it's going to encourage me to use native ipad apps right so now i can drag my mouse over and do it just as I'm doing right now with Sidecar, but instead of having just Windows on there, I can use the native iPad apps. The data is stored on there, so when I disconnect and go away, it's all 
there and it's easy for me to drag stuff between i can drag files over whatever it's a really great use of the ipad and allows you to run stuff natively on your ipad and yet we can't properly plug it into a monitor i can connect a keyboard and a mouse to it and a trackpad and all this stuff and i can't use it with a monitor it's like well if you want this as a computer replacement that's a very basic function that every other mac running the m1 can do yeah william what were your thoughts were you surprised? Kind of yes and no. Uh, it felt like uh, we're going to be able to run Final Cut Pro on the iPad. It was up there with the Apple's going to launch new MacBooks, new Mac Pros, new everything. It was all just more wishful thinking than even confirmed rumors. And I just, I felt like Apple didn't, Apple didn't do what it didn't say it was going to do. So it seems unfair to be disappointed in them when i thought the m1 stuff neil's point about m1 and everything being more economic i have no problem with that at all because obviously apple will lower the prices help us <laughs> get some of the yeah okay that one doesn't work uh i think something more is coming i just think the ipad is great at the moment except you two obviously don't so let's put it behind you Send me your iPads. I'll look after yeah. them. Stop all of this this upset. Blah blah blah. Well, you know, and, I, and the biggest slap in the face, I think, is the Swift Playgrounds announcement, right? So it's like developers are saying we really want to have Xcode on the iPad, which wouldn't be that difficult to do at this point. You've got cursor input, you've got keyboards. You know, why why wouldn't you be able to do it, right? So Apple makes this announcement. And it's like, hey, remember that app we created for children to teach them how to code? Well, now you can make iPad apps on your iPad. That's it. Thanks. Bye. And that was the presentation. And it was like, wow, that's what you gave them, really? Like, you know, it's a step in the right direction, but it's such a baby step that it's like a slap in the face. Yeah. So what what did we get? We got app library on iPad. Cool, I guess. Uh, we got low power mode. Uh, widgets on the home screen. You can put them anywhere on the home screen. Kind of figured that was coming. But then, like you said, so Swift Playgrounds. We didn't get Xcode on iPad, but Swift Playgrounds has actually been updated where you can submit an app to the app store right from the iPad. So technically... You don't have all the tools and abilities you do on Xcode on Mac, but you can actually write an app on iPad and submit it to the App Store all from the one device. And that's a good step. Like, that's really cool. Glad you can do that now. But again, it's it's hard to get past that just knowing, like, I, I, I guess I wonder now, what is the future of iPad OS? You know, I, I never thought it would become Mac OS or Mac OS would come to the iPad. I mean, it was a possibility, but... But now it's like, will it even grow past what it is now? Like, will it actually move on to something more powerful? And I'm not sure now. I don't know. Yeah, our colleague Andrew uh, was tweeting about this and, and saying what a disappointment it was. And there were people responding and somebody said, surely we will have Final Cut for iPad this fall. It will be a consumer focused software announcement. Surely, yes. Uh, I, I, for those <laughs> no. of us that have been using the iPad since day one, since it came out in 2010. Yes. Keep holding your breath. Like it's it, it's it's a mess. And and they had a great opportunity here to justify what they are, you know, what they launched in in May, this great new iPad that is an amazing device. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, the software just doesn't hasn't caught up with the hardware. The hardware is light years ahead of the software. You, you could old, own a five year old iPad and you're really not getting the most out of it. Right. Well, that's enough sad talk about iPad. I, and honestly, I do not assume now that we'll ever see Final Cut or Logic on iPad. Like, I don't I don't think so. I don't know if we'll, I don't think we'll ever see it. So, yeah, I don't know. Future of iPad unknown. We'll have to see. I still like my iPad. I love it for editing podcasts, yeah, but love my iPad. Use it every day. Yeah, me. Use yeah, me day. too. So it's just I have to be content, like with what it can do now, and and hopefully app developers can you know continue to making great apps. And there are great apps on iPad, like LumaFusion is like a 
pro app for video editing. I would say Ferrite is a pro app for audio editing and podcast creation. So like there are pro apps on iPad and I would say don't wait anymore for Apple to bring pro apps to iPad. Find the third-party apps, the pro apps that let you do the things you want to do on the iPad now and use those because there are great ones out there. What could be more pro than widgets on your home screen? (laughs) All right, let's finish up with Mac OS. Mac OS Monterey, I missed the prediction. I thought they would go with Eldorado. I'm still holding out that in the future it'll be Eldorado, but Mac OS Monterey. And the big thing was universal control that Neil mentioned, which literally looks like magic, like during the demo. It's awesome. The Verge did have an article. Yeah, it looks awesome. The Verge had an article talking about how they use it. It's really like older technologies like AirDrop and file sharing. And basically the Mac just kind of assuming where what device is based on your cursor movements and what devices are like on and active. But even so, like technologically really impressive. It will work with a maximum of three devices. So you can have an iPad and two Macs and you can be able to do it from there. I don't know if it'll work with two iPads and one Mac, although that's that'd be next level if you have two iPads and one Mac. I'm not sure what you're doing there. But it'll work with, with that. And just, just M1 Macs, I believe. Or will it work with Intel ones? I, I missed that part. I think it, wor- I think it works with Intel ones okay, as well. Okay, works with Intel ones. But that's really cool. Shortcuts coming to the Mac. Very excited for this. Uh, there's been a lot of research going on with shortcuts on the Mac from people like Federico Vitici and Matthew Casanelli. And it looks really awesome. You'll be able to trigger shortcuts in the menu bar, in the touch bar, in Finder, in share menus. So very excited for that. Automator actions will be able to migrate into shortcuts. And like many people are thinking, this is the end of Automator probably pretty soon. We won't see it. It's not long for this world, for sure. And we also get low power mode on Mac. They did cool. make it a point to say that Automator is going to stick around in the presentation, uh, at least for the you know time being. So For the foreseeable future. They threw that bone to us yeah. legacy people. Yeah, no one reads books anymore anyway, so <laughs> yeah, it'll be around. I'm a bit more concerned about the fate of AppleScript. I hope that continues. Automator, I don't mind. Let that go. But AppleScript is so useful. Uh, well, uh, stealing other people's Apple scripts and popping them into middle of keyboard <laughs> uh, monastery routines. Yes. That's vital. Yes. Well, and Apple scripts will be usable in shortcuts. So I imagine, yeah. you it, know. The fact that you can use Automator and Apple scripts and shortcuts means that shortcuts is going to become way more powerful. Um, I'm really excited about it. Yeah. And then this is kind of the last big thing I wanted to touch on. Safari getting a big redesign across all the operating systems. And they talked about it in the Mac section of the keynote. And so I don't have it on my Mac yet or my iPhone, but I do have it on my iPad. And I will say I have mixed emotions about this Safari redesign. Like this is a significant change to how Safari functions. And it might not be for the better. The utility of this new version of Safari, like the refresh arrow is hidden away in a menu the ability, like the share button is hidden away in a menu. Like there's a lot of controls that were just on the surface before that are kind of tucked away in these menus. And that adds steps, like as you're trying to work with Safari. And the tab, like it looks pretty, the new Safari, at least on the iPad that I'm using, it looks okay, but it is, I don't know how functional it is. Like tabs, it's hard to get kind of spatial awareness as to where these tabs are. And am I going left or right on which tab? And then they have this new feature too, where the entire interface will change color depending on the website you're visiting. So when I go to Apple Insider, because the header navigation is like dark background, like almost black, my entire Safari turns dark. Like it's just black. You can see it in one of the YouTube videos I did. And then if I go to a different website, 
that has like a white background, Safari just turns like bright white. I don't know if that's a feature I can turn off. I'll have to see. But it's a little jarring going from tab to tab, especially if you're switching quickly or trying to navigate to a specific tab. It's like a very big design visual change with the different colors and everything. So I've mixed emotions about this. We'll see if Apple actually keeps it like this or starts surfacing some of those controls again. You know, we have all summer for them to make tweaks to the betas and to Safari and all that. On the iPhone, it looks a little cooler, you know, it's on the bottom. And so you'll thumb be able to access some of those controls better and you can swipe between tabs. But again, a lot of the controls that were on the surface are not uh, available anymore currently in the Safari. So I don't know what you guys think about this. Well, I like the look of it on the Mac when they were demonstrating it. I thought, I mean, I like the the tab change as well, but the, even the colors, I thought it looked good. Did um, Beth Dakin of the Safari team just pick really good sites to show us? May I mean, maybe. It does look like it looks nice. Like, I'm not saying it doesn't. It's it's cosmetically appealing. I just don't know in day-to-day functionality, the, the whatever tasks you normally do. Like, when I want to share a website, sometimes I'll copy and paste from the address bar. Sometimes I'll hit the share button, like the little square with the up arrow. And that's not visible anymore. So some of those functions are just, you know, a couple steps away now. So I don't know. It looks nice. It, it's mm. it's it's clear that Apple's design philosophy, you know, even when you think about the new iMac ditching the logo on the front now, is very much about a screen that can become anything. And that's all you're looking at is just the screen. And I think that this new Safari look is kind of an extension of that. Everything kind of bleeds off into the edge and, and it doesn't feel like it's constrained within the display. It feels like it almost extends beyond it. And, and it's more dynamic in that way. And I, I think it looks sharp, but I, I haven't used it. So I can't comment on that. But I, at least in the demo, I thought it looked really slick. Yeah, it does look slick. We'll have to see. And we'll have to see maybe as they change it over the summer as well. And then there were a bunch of developer things kind of plugged right there at the end of the keynote. Xcode Cloud looks really cool as far as like compiling apps in the cloud and being able to publish it to multiple devices and test flight it all over the place kind of automatically. Looks really cool. I'm not personally a developer, but if you, listener, are a developer and you think this is really cool technology, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it or what makes you excited about it. But anything else, anything else big that we missed either from the keynote or stuff that's come out after the keynote that you guys want to plug real quick? Well, the 14-inch MacBook Pro is oh, my word. the best thing to go <laughs> Sorry, I can't let it go. It's the fact that it was in. confirmed. Afterwards. I know. That's what just knifes me on this one. I was fooled. <laughs> I know, I know. You have to wait till the fall. Neil, anything else you were excited about? Uh, home keys and home kit. That's yes. going to be cool. Um, I like I like the fact that it's apparently going to work instantly so you don't have to like invoke something on your watch or your phone. You can just tap it, it'll unlock. Um, I think that's going to be a great feature. Absolutely. And so we didn't cover the home stuff on this episode because, listener, you can tune into HomeKit Insider coming out Monday as you listen to this on Friday or over the weekend. We go over all that home stuff in depth. Tune into the HomeKit Insider. Then you can just search for HomeKit Insider in your podcast app of choice or look in the show notes below. Also, podcast subscriptions come out Tuesday, June 15th. Be on the lookout for the Apple Insider channel there. And we'd love to hear from you. You can tweet at Neil, William, and myself. All our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Subscribe to the Apple Insider YouTube channel. I had a couple videos on there this past week showcasing that live text feature and iPadOS multitasking. So you can subscribe at youtube.com slash Apple Insider. And if you haven't yet, Give us a five-star rating and review an Apple podcast. That'll greatly help out the show. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Mm -hmm.